0: Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be here. And I know I'm not the, the one usually up here at this time, uh, but it is good to be here. David asked me uh, a little over a month ago and told me the, this date that, that he would be with his family. So he's, he's with his family and will return. So I invite you for listening online or, or coming back next week. Come back next week and we will jump back into the Gospel of Mark that we've been going through and uh, continue on those last couple of chapters. So today... Kind of going outside of Mark and uh, looking at a topic, something I look at every October, because October to me is the prime sports month. I mean, it's, it's October baseball, and the Braves made it, hallelujah, and uh, uh, it's, it's football season too, so it's, you know, coming up, I wanted to look at a message that kind of ties all that together and how we look at our faith. Back in the 1990s, I was with my best friend, and we went to a game. Now, it wasn't just any game. Everybody was trying to get a ticket that was in town. It was really the talk of the city. And I don't know, somehow my friend's mom got tickets, and we got to go. And it was one of those things, you didn't go just for the game. You went there for a particular person that was at the game. And we got there early, because you wanted to get there early, because it was going to be packed. And it started getting packed. And we got there early enough that we got pretty close to where you had a good vantage point. And um, and I was a little bit younger, not quite as tall now, so it was good that I had a good vantage point. All of a sudden, so we're just packed in, cameras are everywhere, uh, news agencies and stuff are everywhere. And uh, we hear this, you know, just cheer from people that could see what was happening. We couldn't see yet. And all of a sudden, this pathway just kind of opens, and the first thing I remember are seeing these huge guys come through, and I mean, it looked like Secret Service. They had the black suits, kind of men in black, they had the the glasses on and everything, and I was like, wow, and they were kind of blocking who we had come to see. And all of a sudden, they, they kind of made a turn past all the people, and then there he was. Now, this wasn't just any athlete. This is probably, if you could count on one hand, athletes that have made an impact, or at least iconic, uh, not only in the game of sports, but around the world, uh, it was, and, and if you can know somebody just by two letters, MJ, then that's somebody. Uh, Michael Jordan was there, and uh, he walked out right in front of us. At one point, I feel like I could have reached out and touched him, uh, although the security would have handled that, and... <laughs> Uh, But it was a moment I don't even think then I understood that the impact of it or what I was exactly seeing at that moment. Um, Kind of stepping back now, I do. But I do remember my jaw dropped, just all the flashbulbs and and the cameras, and he was going out. um, So we'll get back to that story later. So it brings me to my question today, what about sports and what about athletics? And I have to do a disclaimer now, because, uh, you know, we saw that, that score at the beginning that, that uh, Matt shared up there. And I promise, I did not, this, this message was made before uh, anything turned around in college football scene yesterday and, uh, you know, before Georgia's looking like number one team now. So this this message was before that. Um, when we look at sports, some might in this room might care quite a bit about it. You, you put in a lot of time, effort, money for it. Um, and then some, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You could care less. You know, You uh, on a Saturday afternoon, watching two teams that you really can't impact the game, that's not something you're going to do. And that's okay. This message is for everyone. So thankfully, uh, everybody tune in. Don't tune away. Just because I said sports. First off, and the reason that this is a message for everybody, sports permeates our world. It makes an impact no matter where you live or who you are, especially if you're in America. Uh, It makes an impact, and there's good and bad things and takeaways from it, and we'll get to that. Number two, even if you don't care about sports, there are others that you know of, that you care about, and they care about sports. And they spend time and energy and money towards this, so it matters to them. So it matters in our understanding and interactions with people in general. And thirdly, and most importantly, the Bible has some clear metaphors And some things that we should know and understand about the believer and our walk in life following Christ. Uh, Some clear metaphors, especially when we look at Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul. So if we're looking at that, Paul found many instances to include sports. And those analogies, I think that's important for us uh, right there. So sports has been part of my life. Both uh, personally playing a few different sports to varying degrees of success and on varying degrees of successful teams and unsuccessful teams. Uh, and my family, just in general, us, it's, it's just part of our interactions together, um, things that are handed down to me. Uh, so I have my Braves tie on today, you know, just a sports team that I grew up loving. That was handed down to me. Uh, so, yes, sports is not necessary for our survival, but we can put a lot of things on that list that we enjoy but it's part of this community's identity, it's part of this state's identity, it's part of our nation, and it's across the world. Um, my um, a pastor and professor and a sports fan I know, Dr. David Prince, he said, sports are not necessary, but they are inevitable. And a response from humanity to the world God created. So first, in our understanding of athletics and how does it tie in with our faith, we need to understand, number one, point number one, we are remarkably made by our Creator. and This comes from several passages, and, and today we will be pulling in several texts uh, uh, for the message. Genesis 1.31, 2.7, you see it there, and, and several instances, I just picked one in Psalms. God formed us. He breathed life into us, gave us living breath. And you know we were remarkably made if you've ever heard, uh, held a newborn baby and just that little hand, the entire hand just wrapped around the finger and you're just kind of caught in that moment. From that moment on, you know that we are remarkably made. God made us, male and female, for very specific reasons, roles, and things we should celebrate in our uniqueness of each sex, and that's a that's a whole nother sermon right there. From Genesis 1:27, He created us in His own image, and from Psalm 139, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God saw all that He made, and it was good. Every one of us. So God has not only created us, but He has given us remarkable abilities. Uh, so for looking at sports, we we have remarkable abilities of skill, control, and flexibility. And I know right now some of you are like, <laughs> "Yeah, right, Ben. Not me. You know, uh, not at this stage, or maybe not ever." Uh, yeah, remarkable skills, control, and flexibility. Well, let let me prove it to you. Just one example: how our body balance balances, how the balance system works. Now, this is just kind of. Put it at a level where I could understand it. The body's balance system works through a constant process of position, detection, feedback, and adjusting, using communication between our inner ear, our eyes, our muscles, joints, and the brain. All that working together. So deep inside our ear, positioned just under the brain, is the inner ear. So not just for hearing, but you also know if you have headphones on too tight or something, you might get dizzy sometimes. And, and that's the inner ear kind of shutting off and you're losing your equilibrium. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, uh, but you get dizzy. And that's designed to send feedback to the brain to, to tell the brain the movement and the control center uh, around the cerebellum. Now, the cerebellum is the small port, part of the brain's position at the back of the head near the spine, which acts as the body's movement and balance control center. So, Stay with me. It receives messages of the body's position from the inner ear, all these things I said, eyes, muscles, joints. And it sends messages to the muscles to make our uh, posture adjustments, to maintain balance. In other words, and I had a professor tell me, just a fraction off of any of those things working, and we would not be able to stand here. Quite literally, it's amazing that we're able to stand up on our own two legs. And God has created us. We don't have to think... Things through like that, that he has created us. And when you put that in the perspective of sports an outfielder running down a fly ball, a running back cutting and dodging between players, uh, jumping hurdles, turning a double play, dribbling, shooting a basketball, diving, swimming, a multitude of things, uh, except swinging a golf club. Um, To me, you know, no matter what my posture looks like, that ball's out of control. So, you know, that may, may just be me, but that's, uh, that's my gospel. so I don't know how to fix that. But all those other things, it's amazing that they can even happen. So sports is an avenue in which we can stand in awe of God's created beings and, and, and stand in awe of what they're capable of and seeing their limits. And as beings created in God's image, God sent His only Son who knows our physical limitations. He was, came down in flesh among us. He had fingerprints. You ever think about that? Jesus had fingerprints. He could walk. He could toss and catch. I like to think he was pretty good at it, but that's just me. I don't know how, uh, uh, you know, looking at how God personally knows us, even in physical form, should put us in awe. But as anything in God's great design, the human body, In any human element, like sports, it can be turned into something not so helpful. It can be turned into something that just becomes harmful and idolatrous. So the reality is we quickly see idolatry becomes a major problem in the Bible. So if you go through Genesis, it quickly becomes a problem, and it continues on and on and on again as a problem. And as we saw in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 45, um, 18 through 25, that was read earlier, The differences in idols. Point number two, we are tempted to chase after idols. You know, this passage from Isaiah is just one of many in the Old Testament that clearly kind of puts idols on one side, God on the other, and God is saying, what are these idols compared to me? Verses 18 through 19, God created it all. He formed it. He established it. And notice in those verses, he also created it to be inhabited. He didn't create an empty space for himself. He created means of interaction between his created beings. God didn't create, create it just for himself. I think that's amazing. And for us to worship and be in awe of him, that's where we should be. That should be our posture is towards our creator, the one who made us. Verses 20 through 22 in Isaiah 45 talks about, uh, declares the nature of idols and that people have uh, the, the survivor of the nations... That were in captivity, they have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a god that cannot save. And that happened over and over again, and it still happens today. The idols have no knowledge; they don't really help bless them or actually carry any promises to them. They're they're in fact empty; they cannot save anyone. God made it explicitly clear in this verse about that, and it gets to the heart of the issue, kind of at verse twenty-one. And there was a background issue going on here of the people of God were in captivity, and then Cyrus, uh, uh, conquest of Babylon, and then they released these Jewish exiles back uh, to go back. But the main point for today from Isaiah is the Lord calls out these idols for what they are. And they can still capture us today in our own hearts in different ways. God says, there is no God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I mean, there's nothing, nothing that compares. So what about sports again? <laughs> well, ever since the fall of humanity that we read of, in Genesis 3, there's been objects of affections that capture our heart. And that can lead us astray and away from God. And uh, again, I'm saying this, and I recognize Alabama finally got bumped off yesterday. Uh, thank you, Aggies and the Word. Thank you all. And Georgia has a legitimate spot at number one. But many times in sports and other various avenues of our life, well-intended things, even top ranks, they could become of an ben- obsession, and a bent for ourselves. Sometimes something even good or decent can become an object of affections that pushes God aside. And um, and, and what does that look like? What is the evidence of that idolatry in our lives? And for each person, I think it's different. And for each person, I think it's something. And for each person, I think it could be several somethings. For sports, it's pretty easy. You can just follow, uh, kind of the money and the figures and, and see the money. Uh, the highest paid state employees in many, many states, including our own, is not the governor. It's a coach. In 20, uh, in 2020, so with COVID going on, $388.3 billion went to the global market of sports. 388, 388, and that was down. And uh, obviously that that went down. It was at 458.8 billion, and that was right before COVID. And that's that's worldwide. So all that money, all that revenue, all of that attention going into sports. And let me tell you, I'm a sports fan. I love it. Um, I'm not off the hook. But sports can tend to place a stronghold in our hearts above God and our worship to Him. It can be evident in our time. It can be evident in our money. It can be evident even in, and, and this kind of is really telling, in our conversations and in our social media posts. What do you post about? What do you talk about most? It's evident in our personal spiritual walk. Do you spend more time watching sports than time with the Lord throughout the week between Sunday to Sunday? are we more? Am I more, more worried about the Braves' playoff performance that I've seen uh, not go so well several years than I am about the lost? You know, up in my office I have sports memorabilia, autographs, and things like that that I've spent money and time towards. So where does this leave us? Well, sports isn't bad in itself. But what impression is it leaving on the heart? And it doesn't have to be sports. What captures your heart and affections? Is it the Lord? Like I said, we all have them. But I think the evil one tries to get us distracted by them. So instead of brushing it under under the rug, it's better to recognize it or have a good friend, good godly friend that actually points it out to you. uh, And you don't get upset about that. And then you confess it. And you pray to God to help you through it. Is it sports for you? Is it work? Is it just being busy? It can even be family and kids as the most important thing even above God. Is it a hobby? Is it a boyfriend? Is it a girlfriend? Is it music? Art? Hunting? Pets? Social media? Movies? Money? Television? The list goes on. Again, nothing in that list I just said in and of itself is really bad. It's it's what we do and what our heart is bent towards those things. What turns our heads and our affections? You know, God is not, when we get down to it, God is not surprised by sports. He put a creative spirit inside of us, and there is a natural uh, competitive bent towards humanity. And we see this, we actually see this in the disciples. There's a competitive spirit in them often. You know, they, they're often getting in arguments, and we've seen this in the Gospel of Mark. You know, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest? Is it me or you? You know, and uh, they're arguing for themselves. And uh, I mean, it's a group of guys following, you know, following Jesus, trying to impress. You know, it's what happens on sports fields all across America, um, even on church league softball fields. Yeah, trying to live out the glory days. (laughs) And when you see a stadium roaring fans doing the same cheers or booing, you know, it can resemble something of worship to something. So are we to toss it out when we get down to it? Along with the list of the other things. Buy hobbies. Goodbye movies. Buy work. See your kids. Buy pets. No, we can't do that. <laughs> what is a Christian to do? How can we kind of so-called redeem sports? Uh, going back to... Um, my pastor friend, um, he was a seminary professor, David Prince, wrote a great book, In the Arena, if you want to know more about about this. The in the Arena, The Promise of Sports for Christian Discipleship. This is what he wrote. He said, God did not create sports, people did. But people created sports in response to a worship God created. Sporting competition is capable of reflecting God's creative glory and design in his own image bearers, and thus presents an opportunity to celebrate our unique identity in god's world so point number three from today redeem sports for the glory of God 1 corinthians 10 thirty one through thirty three uh, a few years ago this was kind of a, a viral video that was going around this was on a baseball field uh, it was a it was leading up to a state competition i don 't think it was the state competition but it was two teams that were battling out to get to their state competition and it was it was the ninth inning. It's, it's just a classic showdown. Ninth inning, two outs. I think there was a couple runners on base. An opportunity to at least tie the game or go ahead. And it was pitcher against batter. The only thing was these were best friends. These were best friends. They had played together actually more on other teams together than they had on these other, the two teams they are on now apart. So they had played a lot of years together. It just so happened they had to face each other and his best friend was the possible last out. And it got down to two strikes. And then the pitcher hit the outside corner. And the batter just watched it go by. And it was called strike three. So immediately, the, the, you know, the team that had just won, they're, they're coming on the field. They're going to jump on the pitcher. And the pitcher walks off the mound. And he starts walking towards home plate. And then the catcher starts running out. And he's going to jump on the pitcher and congratulate him. And he kind of brushes his catcher aside. And he goes over to his best friend who had his head down. And uh, this is what he said. He said, you had a great season and you're a great player. Don't let the outcome uh, affect our friendship. I told him I love him. He's my brother and our friendship will last longer than this silly game. And CBS News, they reported this is 2018 before uh, COVID. The hug has become a social media sensation, which just may say something about the thirst these days. For examples of treating each other with class, grace, and empathy. And that was before COVID, y'all. <laughs> well, isn't that what we should be doing anyway as people of God? And leading the way on that. Of showing uh, examples of just going out and showing love to people. Even if it's stepping across opponent boundaries. I saw that. Uh, that was a couple weeks ago. Uh, high school. Player cramped up on the field, got a bad leg cramp, and if you've ever been there, it's, it's a helpless feeling when you're going through there. An opponent, I think it was uh, uh, on the defense, he, he came over, and uh, and they had also played together for a while, and he started helping. He knew what the trainer was going to do anyway, so he, he went out and started helping him uh, to relieve that cramp. And he, it was, So it was an opponent he went over to do this. And he said it was just the right thing to do. He didn't run off to the sidelines with the rest of his team. He went out there to do it. Well, isn't that we're, show, we're called to, to show that in the middle of sports with our family, friends, and yes, even the opponents. And it would be amazing if these things did not have to be viral. But because of Christians leading the way in our everyday lives and in our everyday avenues and hobbies and things that we're interested in, that we're doing this. So what if we didn't hinge such hope on games and trophies that won't last? Yes, we need to help our team and play hard and be the best team member we can be and try to, try to achieve with our team. And sometimes you're going to be let down. A lot of times you might be let down. But applaud your opponent. Learn from, the, from your loss. What if we as Christians led the witness in these interests and hobbies and to proclaim the name of, of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 through 33, Paul was addressing this uh, issue of sacrifices, of this idol meat that, that people, some people were having trouble eating this meat that had previously been sacrificed to idols. His main principle a- after all of that was act and do right towards others, no matter what you have to do, that it will not hinder or stop the gospel. And that's what matters. What does that mean specifically with athletics and being at a sports competition? Well, I heard from a friend one time, he took took a church-going, godly man. This person, this man served in the church, and they went to a game together. It was the first game that he had ever went to him. It was just the two of them. They went to this big game, and he said he was shocked. He came away, and this godly man from his church first started yelling because things weren't going right for the team then started swearing at the officials multiple times throughout the game. And he said it was just completely just blew him away to see him as a different person in the arena, in the stands of a football game than the way he was everywhere else and at every other function and stuff back at the church. And let me tell you, if you act like that on the ball field or in the stands or on your couch, and believe me, I'm a Tennessee fan. I mean, I've seen some, you know, I'm a Braves uh post-season fan. I've seen some meltdowns. But maybe it's not that. Maybe it's the Walmart checkout line, <laughs> the struggle. But if you can't keep your cool and your composure, then you blow that witness. You blow that opportunity. I also heard a time, uh, it was... A teacher told me this that their child, it was a child in a classroom, and the child said, You know, I hope daddy's team wins today. It's like, Oh, yeah. You know, whatever the team was. said, Yeah, I hope daddy's team plays today so he'll play with me afterwards. And she realized he was going to be in such an irritable mood that he wouldn't even take time for his kids if his team lost. What a shame. You should be able to sit in the sands with a friend, have a great time, no matter the, the final score, and be able to, and this is the challenge, be able to at any point invite somebody to church. At any point you could share Jesus and not be embarrassed. And there's going to be misplays, there's going to be let downs, there's going to be blow ups. But we have to remember any game, in the grand scheme of things, in all of reality, it goes back to what that, that good friend said to his other friend. I hope our friendship and stuff. It is isn't affected by this one game. Because what does the team do even after they win it all? What does the team do after they win the Super Bowl? Huh? Get ready for the next year. That's right. Get ready for the next one. Even the national championship, World Series—it doesn't matter. In a few weeks or months, usually, you know, they're getting ready for the next season. So, a few thoughts: What can we do to redeem sports? These are just a few. While we watch them participate. First, this goes back to our first point. Recognize and appreciate God-given abilities. I think it's a perfect time to recognize that. The Olympics, we're a big Olympics family. We we love the Olympics. We have them on. Pretty much step inside the house. If if the Olympics are going on, we try to just keep it on. Because it's just a time to recognize just amazing things. We don't really care what the sport is. Um, And we have a winter one coming up just a few months after the summer one. So, you know, it'll be a time. Recognize and appreciate the abilities of the athletes. Even if it's not an American. Number two, how can we redeem sports? The harvest is plentiful of sports fans who do not know the Lord. These are passionate people. A lot of sports fans and, and you know, interests like that are passionate people already. So for us the mission field is to redirect that ultimate passion. That's not for this player. It's not for this sports team. It's not just for this championship. There's something much greater than that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we recognize and and we can show our kids that even sports, even the stars, they're imperfect people. You know, luckily in in some sports, there are some good Christian influencers that that might be in pro sports um, that will share the faith, but they are not very common. And then many star athletes, they have underlying issues going on as well. They're broken. The same as us. And number four, um, learn to implement important lessons learned from sports. And this was just a a few lists. Uh, How to handle failure. In baseball, that's a game of failure after failure. You know, if you're batting 300, you know, three out of ten times you did something pretty good to get on base, you're doing pretty well, you know. Um, and there's other lessons to learn in sports. Cheering on your team, even if you're not in the starting lineup. Being the best team member you can be, even if you're not on the field, and if you're on the bench. And then being respectful to a coach, the opposing team, and yes, even the refs. Until you've done it, you don't know how hard it is to actually call plays in real time. And this is a big one for me, number five. Sports is a great way to build relationships with family and friends. And I want to show you something. This is probably one of the greatest disciple-making tools that was in my family. Here it is. Me and my dad had some of the best conversations about life, about faith, about struggles, about hopes, dreams. It didn't happen really just anywhere like in a room in the house. It actually happened more in the front yard, plain catch. That's just my plug for baseball because baseball is the perfect sport. You have to have somebody else really to make it fun. It's not a basketball and a basketball goal. You have to have somebody else really to throw or a pitcher to throw to hit. So this was a great disciple-making tool was to build a relationship, especially with my dad, uh, playing sports. Number six, don't let sports be a regular excuse. Not, and This is a big one. Not to regularly worship with God's people. And I realize there's seasons of sports, and David and I have talked about this, that Wednesday nights, kind of when he was starting youth ministry here, was kind of a sacred night, and that's not really like that anymore. So I I really appreciate, you know, youth will come up and tell me, hey, I got got this sport Wednesday nights for me coming up for the next couple months. I'm going to be missing that. And you know what? What I've come to realize, their mission field and who they're reaching Christ, that's going to be your commitment is going to be with that team. You're not going to let them down. And your mission field is going to be with them. Now, on Sunday morning worship, I kind of put that a little heavier weight. The, the early church began worshiping to celebrate in recognition of Christ's resurrection on the first day of the week. So I think there's a significance and a weight to that from the early church that they've been doing this. Um, and the easiest thing that I've heard from a couple of coaches is to talk to them And talk to the team before you even join the team and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I attend worship at such and such church. This is part of who I am, my faith. And let them know that up front, that, hey, I I need to be there on Sunday. And they really respect that. Don't throw that on them after the season starts. But they really, I think, will respect that. You may not get the answer back you want, but I think they would respect it more going to them at the beginning. And then we have illustration Sandy Koufax, 1965, Game 1 of the World Series. Um, now, he, he was Jewish. Game 1 of the World Series. And it's on the biggest holiday, Jewish Holy Day, Yom Kippur. And he took the day off. He would not pitch. He took the day off. After people, I mean, you can imagine the pressure. He was by far the best pitcher. Uh, and the team lost that game, that first game for the the pitcher they had in place. But even after that, even after he knew that they lost the game, he said, I could not do that. He said, that decision, I would have been turning away from my God. So sometimes it's a hard decision. Where will you land? It's something you have to pray about and think about. And something about analogy, as we look directly in Scripture, point number four, We must run with endurance for our faith. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 26, and Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. 1 and 2. Sports and athletic achievement, as I said earlier, is a metaphor that's used in the Bible by Paul. It's used several times, and specifically for running, for continuing on that endurance. And endurance is that word that we don't like to hear a lot. That puts, you know, we think of effort, sweat, you know, time. There's stuff. There's an investment into it, and endurance is also not just for a specific time. Well, let me just endure till COVID's over. Let me just endure till you know, till I I find a new job or I'm over the sickness. No, we endure through every season of life with God, through the mountains and valleys. Elizabeth and Kelly had a wonderful illustration of that. You know, you're running the race. You might trip up and fall. In fact, we all will. But you get back up, you keep encouraging one another, and you press on. In our New Testament passage uh, today, Paul wrote in Corinthians, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes through strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we, have, uh, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. See in the Corinthians, they understood this analogy. Uh, where they were, they had their own kind of—it was kind of the second biggest games. It was uh, biennial games, the Isthmian Games. It's it's the second only to one that we know today as the Olympic Games, and that was going on where they were. In fact, some scholars believe that Paul, on his first missionary journey in Acts 18, if it was around 80 49 or 51, he got to see these games firsthand. So when he's writing about this, he's writing about. Something. If he didn't see it firsthand, he definitely knew it. And he definitely knew his audience. But he was telling them, that athletic crown that you see these athletes going for, that's not lasting but a few days. The crown we are looking for, Lord Jesus Christ, will last forever. But sometimes we get into a lull. We don't even act like we're in the race or that we're in the starting lineup. I think sometimes we think faith is a spectator sport. Let's watch someone else. Because after all, we do that in a lot of other areas. But guess what? Just like the title today, batter up. You're the one that's up. You, 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 you. If you're a follower of the Lord, you're up. You are in the race. And you can count on God to be there every step of the way with you. As much as I want the balls or braves to win, guess what? I can't do much to really affect the outcome of that game. Why not? I'm not on the field. And it wouldn't go better if I was. That's not true for the believer. You aren't a spectator. Jesus has clearly showed by his word and command before he ascended. That his followers, you are going to do something. You're going to the nations. We are running the race for the Christ. And yes, we have assistance along the way. We have the greatest help in the Holy Spirit. But we must be moving along. Growing in faith. Being committed to serve and sharing with others. In order to really be on the field. And to receive that help. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. And the sin that so in, uh, easily entangles And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, my youth knew I was going to tell at least one story about my cross-country days, and I had to, because this one's too good about endurance. I joined cross country, I think I was a junior in high school, didn't know much about it, I was just, they needed people on the team, and I had some good friends, so I joined. And so I went through just a couple of weeks of training, and we went through to our first meet, and everything was new to me, you know, like, I had a coach who was trying to explain it. So we take off, and it just so happened, this first race that I ever did was the biggest hill that I ever had to go up in any of the races, so it wasn't the best place to start, I guess, if you're starting. And so I went run, you know, I'm struggling up this hill and uh, it just kept going. It felt like forever. And I get to the top and I see my coach and he's standing there with the other coaches and they had like a timer, you know, you could see what your time was. And in my mind, I was like, okay, he's like, this was hard, but I think I can do this. And I ran up and I like slowed down. I was like, coach, how did it, how did I do? He goes, what are you doing? Go. He goes, this is halfway. <laughs> and I think my eyes bugged out, and I was like talking to the runners, and I figured out we had to run all the way back down this thing and go back to the starting point was the ending point as well. I thought the top of the hill was where we had to go. Nope, halfway. And I think life can feel like that. Sometimes we go along the way, we're getting worn down, and eventually we just want to stop. It's about halfway. I'm just ready to stop. We have to keep running the good race. Uh, sports can be a good teacher of that, about discipline for that. And we have to avoid creating idols. They are empty. Let me go back to that story, MJ. <laughs> what I didn't disclose at the beginning was the time frame I saw Michael Jordan was in 1994 in July. Not exactly NBA season. That's right, it was not NBA. I saw him take the baseball field. At a minor, it was his minor league uh, baseball little thing that he went into it was the Birmingham Barons took on the Knoxville Smokies in double-A baseball. What I remember most was really the security guys running back and forth with him, the big guys, and uh, you know, all out of breath, and security taking him up to the batters box. I'd never seen that before. He was 0 for three, I think for the day, if I remember right, struck out uh, two times, grounded out. So hopes and dreams, you know, seeing the superstar didn't really pan out in the game. Now, without question, it was a different story if I'd seen him in a different sport. But as we kind of get to the end, wrap up, in a candid moment, this is in a documentary series, The Last Dance. Uh, It's a good series. It's about the Chicago Bulls and the rise of Michael Jordan. And they're interviewing Michael Jordan. It was just a few years ago. They're interviewing him. And they asked him, what did you think about that slogan, Like Mike? That was the big thing, if you all remember that, Like Mike. And uh, everything, you know, all promotion, everything was what what was pushed around the world. People knew him around the world. And this is what he said, a profound statement. He said, if I had to do it all over again, there is no way I'd want to be considered a role model. It's like a game that's stacked against me. There's no way I can win. Did you hear that? It's like a game that's stacked against me. There's no way I can win. All that pressure, and he knew he was not a perfect person. I literally had to stop myself when I heard that. Because all throughout that, he was trying to hold up like this image that I can take care of anything, like during his playing days. But I think he was being very honest there. We need to realize our role model shouldn't be in a sport, uh, sports team or athlete. I mean, they, they can help teach us about the game. They can help us get better at it. There's things we can learn about them. But our ultimate role model comes back from this Hebrews 12 passage. Jesus. He's the only one. Jesus is the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. We're running the good race based on the example, the perfect example that he set. Everything else will always come up short every single time. But to be running that race... You have to be in the race. You must have made a decision for Jesus. And maybe that's where you need to be today. Maybe you're living life, but you haven't started the race of faith in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's the decision you need to make today. Maybe you're listening online right now, and you need to make that decision. Please let us know and and comment, and we can get back to you. You know, a lot of times we can be distracted to run after things that are imperishable. Jesus already finished the race for us for salvation. And we have that opportunity today. Let's pray. Father, I pray if anyone needs to make a decision for Christ, Lord, if anyone needs to run the great, amazing race for our Lord, that they, Lord, you're pressing on their hearts right now to make that decision. Maybe it's a recommitment. Lord, maybe we recognize that there has been idols. It can be a variety of things. It can be several things, Lord. And and I think each one of us has a tendency a pull towards things that we just need to be aware of and that we need to confess. Maybe we've we've given too much attention to that and not enough in our personal walk with you, Lord. Any of these decisions that need to be made today, Lord, I pray that you lead us and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.